really appreciate opportunity to be, unexpected opportunity, uh, to be here together with you this morning. <coughs> Vicki would love to have been here. Vicki's not able even to leave the house uh, much anymore. And so she, uh, she sends her, her best regards uh, and would love to be here with you. Uh, she and I have a uh, major investment uh, in the Mineral Church in time and effort and service and love as many of, many of you do. <coughs> and we all always just want the best for, for the Mineral Springs congregation. <coughs> we want you to grow and to prosper in, in the Lord and in His grace and in His purpose uh, for you. And we just want things to be well. And we love you. We always will. And we cherish uh, the time we got to spend with you and, and always have been thankful to God, uh, to God for him uh, allowing us to, to be a part of his purpose uh, in, in the Mineral Springs congregation and in this area. And, and so we want things to continue to go well with you. <clears throat> in the Gospel of John, John begins his entire focus in the Gospel is, is, is singular. All right? He doesn't cover multiple topics, although there are multiple dimensions to the book. His one singular focus is, is to, to highlight Jesus as the Son of God and to promote faith in him. That's, that's what it's all about. And, and he begins with Christ, and he closes out his book with Jesus. And within that context, there are numerous great doctrinal uh, discussions, and also some very personal uh, interludes in which we see the lives of men and women being touched by Jesus in a, a great variety of circumstances, all of which highlight who Christ is as the one and only Savior of the world and the one and only divine Son of God. And John begins his gospel, he begins his gospel that way uh, in, in, in John chapter 1 when he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made, all things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made. And then to, to resolve any perplexity about that or confusion about what that might mean, he clarifies that in verse 14 of chapter 1. When, he, when John elaborates on that and said in this hologos, the word, this great communication from God, uh, went beyond that. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh, became human, uh, took on humanity. The divine Son of God did something, God did something He had never done. He became human. He never ceased being God. God can't stop being God. But He became human. And the question, of course, it would be why? And John points that out in uh, verse 14 when he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God became human in order to let us see uh, His glory. 
to attribute to him the proper honor and, and value uh, that God deserves as being uh, the creator God and the saving God, the redeeming God of all humanity. The one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who seeks us, and the one who wants to save us, and the one who loves us eternally from beginning to end, regardless of the outcome for us. And so John, John wants to highlight that in this, in this gospel. And, and one of the places uh, that, that I find it most easy to appreciate how this is played out in, in the, in, on the stage of, of human history uh, is in, in the Gospel of John chapter 4 uh, in, in the setting of this woman at the well. And, and so the thing to keep in mind is, the, the thing to, to, to focus upon, at least, at least from my perspective, is that it's, it's remembering why John says God came to be among us and he became, he became flesh to communicate God to us and to even go further than that. He not only came as the Son of God to speak for God and to teach us what only God could teach us, but to commune with us, not only communicate to us, but commune with us, to be one of us, to share with us, to share his life with us, to walk our walk, and to be in our matrix of living. And so with this in mind, we see it played out. Uh, in, in various circumstances and situations in the gospel. And it's really important, I think, to pause and to focus upon some of these uh, in regard to the, the consuming, consummate, ultimate purpose of God coming to this world. And why God not only, he didn't just, he didn't stay here like you stay in a motel. He didn't just stay here for a night or two and then he's gone. It says he dwelt among us. The idea is that he, he pitched his tent here. He, he, he lived where we lived. We became his residence so that he could do for us what only God could do. See, humanity had heard from God before, but God had never come to dwell among us. But he did so in his son Jesus. That's an astounding thing, an amazing thing. But I know it's true because the Bible says it. I don't have to understand it all, but I believe every word of it, and I hope you do too. And with that in, with that in mind, with that background in mind, it reminds me of the, the preeminent importance to, to God is, is to bring man back to himself, is to dwell among us, but the question is why? Commune with us. Why? Communicate to us. Why? Live among us. Live in our presence. Why? And in this context, he also says he is full of grace and truth. And so when he came, he came fully equipped to help us experience the fullness of God's grace and God's truth. Not one or the other, but both. We see that played out time and again. As Jesus impacts the lives of sinful men like us, and makes a difference forever in those lives. So we see the grace of God come into play in the human dilemma. And then we see the truth of God setting sinners free, giving sinners hope, forgiving sin, giving sinners a purpose in their lives to follow Jesus and talk about Him. I want to encourage you to, 
to, to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to talk about Christ. I, I want you to really experience and enjoy the grace of God in Christ. But also, I want us all to honor and to appreciate the power of the truth of God that is in Christ. Because both are necessary in order to help the sinner find his way and live with God. And so with that in mind, we, we come to the importance of, of the soul and of the issue of sin and the compelling need of God himself having to come to this world to do what no, no man could do for himself. And that is to deal with the issue of sin. And that moves us to a, a broader view of this thing called evangelism or sharing the gospel, the good news that Christ has come to, to save the lost, that the Son of God has come to redeem us from our sins, to help us find our way, to deal with the, the great uh, painful issue of separation from God and to bring hope and life and forgiveness and purpose to we who have strayed. A shepherd has come looking for a sheep. We need to hear his voice because he's calling our name. Is he calling your name? Are you listening to him? Are you following Christ? If not, when are you going to start? Are you saved? If not, understand that Jesus came just for you. He is your Savior. He can help you find yourself. He can bring your life back. He can heal your brokenness. He can lead you in the paths of righteousness and beside the still waters. He loves you. He became flesh so you could know Him. And I hope you do. And I hope you will. But with that in mind, this thing, because this broader thing that, that we call evangelism, and winning the lost to Christ, which is that's why he came. Vicky and I, for the better part of two decades, were able to be a part of the Tulsa International Soul Winning Workshop. It was a workshop. You go there because you go to work there for three days and three nights. We would go with our notebooks and with our tape recorders and our Bibles, and we would, we would sit in classes and sit at the feet of those who were learning things and helping others learn about how to talk with people about Christ and how to win people to Christ and how to deal with the issues in people's lives and how to, how to, how to minister the gospel in churches and in individual situations and in families, and we learned we, we learned so much. It was so educational uh, because we were able to sit at the feet of those who, who, were, who were getting these things done. And we, wanted, we wanted to do a better job of that in our lives. But, but it helped us to be around others who had shown that they were effective in that. And every year was such a blessing. And so what I need to keep in mind is that we can also go and, and learn from Jesus and sit at his feet because he's the greatest soul winner who ever lived. That's why he came. He came to bring the good news. He came to bring God to earth, to live among us, to bring grace and truth into our lives that we might see the glory of God and belong to him. And so you can't do better than, than listening to Christ when it comes to how can I 
help someone know about Jesus. And if you've ever been in those shoes, and I know many of us have, I just wish I knew more about how to talk with someone or help someone or, or encourage someone. Maybe the things that we share today from Christ will be helpful to you in that regard because we're going to see the master soul winner. There's never been another teacher like Christ. Okay, he is the ultimate rabbi. And so how did he go about his soul winning work on earth? Well, he did it in many ways. John chapter 4 is just one example, but it is a good one, a good example. And, and to save us, save us a little time, I'm not going to read through the text first. We'll just work our way through the text as we go. Here's the situation. Uh, Jesus, well, let's read it. John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and that was a lot of people because John was baptizing thousands of people. Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea, departed again to Galilee. He needed to go through, another translation says, he must, because he must go through. Another translation says, because by necessity, he went through Samaria, and he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. This opens the scenario, the circumstance, involving how Christ is going to help a person come to know him and his purpose for their life. This is one example of Jesus, the master soul winner. I want to share with you some things that get in the way. And Christ is going to reach this person's heart, and it's not going to be easy. Okay? And sometimes that is very difficult work, to get into the side of a person and to deal with their, not only their present, but their past. And, and, and how all that is, is intertwined. But Jesus will be doing that. But I'm going to be sharing with us some of the things that get in the way uh, of trying to, to reach someone for Christ. And one of them you see presented here in these first three verses. The reason Christ made this trip is twofold. One is because he had an intention to go deal with someone in Samaria, one person. The other reason is because opposition faced him back home. The Pharisees were always opposing Christ. Okay, they, their agenda was totally different. Okay, they, they wanted to, to con control people and Jesus wanted to set people free. Okay. And they, wanted, they, they focused on bringing more rules into people's lives, and Jesus came to bring redemption for their lives. And so the, the purposes were radically different, and they opposed him to his death. <clears throat> and so because of that opposition, Jesus says, okay, I've got work I can do in Samaria, which no other Jew would do anyway. I'll just go where none of y'all would go. And so off he goes. And so sometimes when I try to really commit myself to reaching people for Christ, I will face opposition. Okay, things will come up. The devil will throw things in my way. Okay, to try to hinder that. And it seems like sometimes when we try to really try to make this, this new commitment, things begin to come up that maybe didn't used to. They get in our way. And it's Satan's hindering us to try to keep us from accomplishing this in our life. He knows what we're trying to do for Christ. He will always oppose that. He will always oppose anything and everything, every good step you try to take. 
because it brings glory to God. And that's the last thing Satan wants. And so sometimes we will face opposition. It may come from, from the ridicule of other people. It may come even from family. Jesus warned us sometimes our family can be one of our greatest adversities in regard to serving him. Sometimes it can come from, from my own habits or my own, uh, or my own life, things that hinder me that Satan will try to use to hold me back. Maybe it's my own doubts and insecurities. Uh, maybe it's my feeling of inadequacy. Uh, maybe I've tried to do this in the past and it didn't work out. So I said, well, I'm going to try that again. Uh, all kinds of things may come up. But understand this, that whatever the obstacles may be, the opposition may be, Christ is able. God is able to use me to reach out and to share Christ with other people. And Jesus did not allow opposition to stop him and his purpose in this world. And I don't need to let that happen in my life either. I need to follow his example. So what he did, he just shifted gears. Sometimes that's what I need to do. And there may be someone else I need to talk with. If one didn't work out, maybe there may be somewhere else I need to go. Maybe another approach I need to take. Maybe I need to study a certain thing a little more. Just be persistent. Expect opposition. Expect pressure. Understand that darkness always hates the light. But know that you are the light that God wants to use. And trust Him. And then the second thing we're going to point out starts in verse 4. Says, well, actually, it starts in verse 4. It says that he needed to go through Samaria. Understand, <clears throat> there was more than one road going through Samaria. There was one that went through the country. Another one went around. The Jews built a special road so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. The Jews and Samaritans despised one another. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were looked down upon by the Orthodox Jews. And they could not stand one another. The Jews had great enmity towards Samaritans and vice versa. <clears throat> and so this, this was not a normal crime. Jesus was a, died in the wool, purebred, certified <clears throat> Jew. And now you see him doing what? <clears throat> doing what no other Jew would have done. He said, I think I'll go right through the middle of Samaria. Okay. And so he had something greater on his mind than the average Jew. The average Jew had a lot of prejudice. They had prejudice toward the hated Gentiles, and they had a prejudice toward their distant kinfolks, the Samaritans. There are all kinds of prejudicial barriers, just like there are in our world today. And sometimes prejudices can block us from seeing the needs of lost people and reaching out to other people in the name of Christ. There are all kinds of prejudices that get in the way. And notice verse 5, he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being tired or weary of his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And notice what happens here. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Here it is. Don't forget her. You're never going to know her name. But you're going to know her story. All right. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Her disciples had gone away in the city like typical preachers. They went down to get something to eat. Okay. It's always easier to eat, I guess, than win souls. But anyway, off they go. Okay. There he is. Into the city to buy food. Then a woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, here it is, how is it you being a Jew, 
Ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman. There's two reasons you shouldn't be talking with me, brother. All right, number one, you're a Jew. Y'all hate us. Since the Jews have no deal with the Samaritan. Number two, I'm a woman, and male Jews look down on women. They were treated in some ways as inferior. And she said, this shouldn't be happening. Okay? So she brings these prejudices up to him. And sometimes it is things like this that can hinder me being able to reach out to lost people. And, 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 and I don't want to miss this opportunity because we all have our prejudices. And sometimes we live in a culture full of it. All right? We always have. And, and I can't rectify all the prejudicial things in, in the world. But, but I, can, I, I can properly deal with that in my life and not let it be a hindrance to reaching out to someone in the name of Christ. And so I guess we need to ask ourselves what kind of church we want to be. All right, do you know what kind of people do I? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of people uh, do I want to be? Are we going to be the church that is going to have to be uh, only people who are drug free, who are divorce free, who are debt free, who are defeat free? who are depression-free? Are we going to have to be, are we going to be that kind of church with all of these prejudices that block us collectively or individually from really seeing people around us and feeling for people around us and reaching out and trying to touch the lives of people in the name of Christ? Well, there's some things that, that characterize the mineral church that indicate to me that you have a, you have a heart for people, for people just period not just for certain classes of people, but for people in, in general. And that's, that's the spirit of Christ. But when we're thinking about winning souls, we just got to keep in mind that sometimes there are some prejudicial roadblocks that may come up that the Satan may try to use to hinder us. And Christ did not let that hinder him. And so with that in mind, we move then to the next thing that can hinder evangelism, and that's his first five and six, and as already pointed out, Christ is, is portrayed here as, as sitting down by a well. <clears throat> he was wearied, he was tired, and he was thirsty, and sometimes fatigue, fatigue can interfere with my being able to be sensitive and on track, on track, on track in regard to winning people to Christ. I may just be tired, and sometimes it's the way we live our lives that wears us out. Sometimes it's the world in which we live that wears us out and saps our energy so that we ultimately, if we're not careful, don't really have much left to give to other people because we're too worn out taking care of our own wagon. And sometimes that can be a wagon that's pretty heavily loaded. <clears throat> the bottom line is Christ is portrayed here as being tired he worked pretty hard at what he did. You don't see him taking many vacations. He didn't have time. His time was very limited in his ministry. And he was thirsty. He had these circumstances that could have been limitations to where he may not have even thought about this woman's soul or even thought about her life. You're going to find out that he cares about her. He's interested in a lot more than a drink of water. He's interested in more than taking a break. 
But the bottom line is, the reason Jesus, although at times he would get tired, he got so much done in such a short period of time, is because he had a real strong vertical connection with the Father. If you're going to run hard, you better aim, you better reach high to God for your strength in your faith and in your praying and in your confidence and your hope in the Lord. Draw, don't draw your, your, your vitality and your strength in, from a horizontal plane because it'll, it'll run out. It must be firmly connected to the Lord where I get my main enrichment, my nutrition, my spiritual strength. Jesus maintained those ties. So even when he was weary, he would remain strong. Even when things were darkest, he would continue to go forward and stay on purpose. And, and, and there's not a church in, in the country that doesn't understand to some extent the importance of evangelism and soul winning in the plan of God. Then why are not more of us more heavily involved in it? Well, there are numerous reasons. But with Christ, it was an absolute priority. It was the main thing. That's the same thing the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He said, I declared unto you, first of all, what he means is the main thing. The Apostle Paul taught many things about many areas in many circumstances. It did also very well. But he says, I declared unto you first of all how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and raised the third day according to the scripture. He said, that's the main thing I ever talked about. So what often happens if we're not careful, we'll burn out here horizontally. We won't have real strong vertical ties to receive resources from God. We'll lose sight of the main thing we're here for and so it doesn't get done. So I just want to encourage us as churches and as individuals to try to keep them. There's a lot of things the church can do. There's a lot of things Christians can do and should do. Okay? But we need to keep the main thing, the main thing in our lives. And that's reaching out to the lost souls of people around us who are going to spend eternity somewhere. And so there's a challenge that I want to keep clear in my mind. Okay, and so sometimes just fatigue can be an issue, but it doesn't have to stop me. And then furthermore, notice now verse 7 through 15. Here comes the distractions. Here comes some distractions. She said, he said, give me a drink. She said, how can I do that? Samaritan woman, you don't, we don't deal with, you don't deal with Samaritan. He said, verse 10. Notice, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. He said, if you knew who I was, lady, if you knew what this was really about, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, she, I would have been the same way. She's clueless. I mean, she went there just to get water out of the ground. And by the way, this is, this is one reason our lives and our culture is so absolutely in chaos and in a sewer so often because we're drinking out of the wrong wells. We're getting our, we think we're getting our lives and our meaning and our purpose out of the wells of this world instead out of the living water that is Jesus. And that's why we stay thirsty. You know how dumb we are? 
we just keep going back to the same old wells and wonder why it doesn't work. You know why I should know it's not working for me? If it's working so well for me, why do I have to go back and do it again? If it solves all my problems, why do I have to try it again and do it again? If it's, if it's doing everything for me, why do I have to keep habitually repeating the same old things to keep myself going? And the difference is when you turn to Christ and have living water and life in Jesus Christ, folks, it's one and done. You have everything that God himself can give you through Jesus Christ. All the grace of God, all the glory of God, all the truth of God, all the love of God, all the life that God himself can give you. Christ will give you water to drink that this world can never compare to. Don't just stay thirsty. We just keep trying. We, we, we're, we're so the lie. Our, our culture is so full of lies. And we're, we're given the idea that if you just find the right button to push, you'll find the right happy button to push and solve your problems. You just find the right job or, or, or find the right person or find the right drug or find the right medication or find, you know, push that happy button. That's going to do it for you. You just keep looking until you make yourself happy, happy, happy. Well, then why are we so utterly, absolutely miserable and warped and messed up and going down the toilet? Well, because <laughs> it's never been found that way. If I'm going to find true peace and true happiness and true joy and true purpose in my life, I'm going to need to find it from another source in this world. And it's not in finding happiness by making myself happy is going to be found as a byproduct of the joy of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ my Lord, something this world can never give me. In Him I will find fulfillment. In Him I will find my peace. In Him I will find myself. I will find not only healing for the past, but help for today and hope for tomorrow. It's not going to be found in finding some happy button. It never has been. That's another lie of the devil. Well, let me skip a couple of things and move on to another thing. Here's another thing that can hinder soul winning. It can hinder it. Notice verse 16. He says, go and call your husband and come here. Now he's going to get personal. Go and call your husband and come here. And a woman answered and said, I have no husband. She says, no, I won't talk about this. Okay? And Jesus, matter of fact, she didn't plan this discussion at all. All right? Aren't you glad that Jesus is in charge of our lives and interrupting us, making us deal with things we really don't want to deal with, but we need to. We need to. We need God's help. But we can't unless we open up and look and think and listen. And notice what's happening. Jesus said to her, You have said it properly. I have no husband. For you've had five. You've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. You just shacked up in that you spoke, in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Well, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and the Jews stay in Jerusalem, his place, and won all the work. She tried to change the subject, change the subject to get away from this, and now it's too hot, too hot. She had a broken life. We don't know how she had been through five men. 
Maybe they had gone, maybe five men had gone to her. Maybe, maybe it's not her that, that was the sorry one. Maybe it was them. You don't, we don't know what happened. I really doubt if she had been to five funerals. But whatever happened was she had five dreams, five hopes, five things she anticipated turning out. Just, and it, and it hadn't. And now she, the impression I get is she's just given up. A woman without a husband in Jewish culture, especially a woman with children, and, and no husband, was in bad shape. Really in dire circumstances. Couldn't hold a job on the streets. is really a bad deal. This lady had a broken life. We don't know. Maybe she had been an improper companion. Maybe she had violated her covenants. Five times? Or maybe that had happened within. Whatever had happened, you could tell almost she had tried so many times. And just I, I think she'd just kind of given up on her life. I think she was just stumbling along, trying to go from one well to another. And that's just the impression I get, although I can't validate that. I can't prove it. I wasn't there. And Jesus gets into this situation with her as the one who can bring redirection and healing and help for the broken life. Sometimes, folks, sometimes sharing the gospel with people is made more difficult because some people, some people feel like they have no hope. Some people feel like they're so messed up, so in bondage, so broken, failed so many times that even God doesn't care about them. And sometimes that's the hindrance to trying to reach out to someone and help them see the difference that Christ wants to make. And that really, in essence, the only kind of people that Jesus deals with is broken people. It's just a matter of how broken we are. I mean, salvation is for sinners. That means I qualify. You may not, but I know there's at least one sinner in this room. And so I'm thankful that Jesus came for me and my brokenness. But sometimes it gets in the way. And people, if we're not careful, they will think, okay, the church has no place for me because I'm too busted up and everybody knows it. Okay? And so why try? There's no place for me there. Those are good people. Okay? And I'm not a good person. I don't belong. So that sometimes can be a hindrance okay, to evangelism. And our challenge to reach out to others is to help them realize God has a place and a purpose for every, every life. And that none of us can, can, can be right with God or even have an understanding of life or eternity apart from the blood of Jesus or any hope apart from Him. And that no matter who you are or where you've been, Jesus can help you start over again. Some people don't know that. You may be the one that God uses to help them understand that. To overcome that obstacle. So don't shortchange yourself. Tell them your story about how if the Lord helped you, they'll help them. He'll help anybody. He loves us all. Well, I'm going to close with that thought. I have three others. But Chris said he didn't know I was going to preach today. If he'd known, he'd have brought a pillar. I, have, I don't have any idea what that means. That went right over my head. Uh, I don't know where he got the thought. But it, I was crushed when he said that. 
I just tore me. But anyway, but but to spare Chris, the rest of you are okay. But no, but, but I want to conclude with with this the, the point that I wanted to make from the very beginning, folks, is is that the, the church is is souls who have been saved by Jesus, who are, who are out trying to help save other souls for Jesus. Good news has come into our lives so that we can share good news with other lives. Any, any ministry that you can use, like your food ministry, oh, there's so many things you can use to be bridges, bridges over to the lost. Uh, these are not an end within themselves. They're a means to an end. Church ministry is a means to an end. And the ultimate end is keeping the main thing the main thing. Winning the loss to Jesus. And so I just I want to challenge us to keep this in perspective and not being satisfied. Some churches get satisfied with multiplying ministries. Well, we have a ministry for this, ministry for that, ministry for that, ministry for that. Okay, that's good. How can we make sure we're equipping this and using this to win the lost as much as we can? How can we, how can we accelerate that thing and let, let God have a place to take us across that bridge to lost souls? I'm not telling you something you don't know, uh, and, but I just want you to know I know it. Okay, so maybe we can help each other. And, and to learn and to keep in mind that this is why he came to this world so that we could see his glory, give him the recognition, the honor, the worth that he is to us, and to demonstrate that in our lives as saved by his grace and set free by his truth. That is the challenge always before God's church. And that's the challenge before every Christian's life, young and old. One of the most effective soul winners that I have known was 15 years old when she started winning souls. Nobody told her to. She just got pumped up. Beat anything we ever saw. Another one of the most effective soul winners that Ricky and I ever knew was in her early 70s before she ever talked to anyone about Jesus. And in the next six or eight years, we couldn't count the number of people that she led to Christ. She was caught on fire. She saw it. The light came on. I could tell you so many stories of folks like you and me, just everyday people, who finally realized, wait a minute, Jesus can help me do this. I can do this with somebody. God, you will help me. And they didn't give elders permission. They didn't get to get the preacher's blessing. They, they just stayed with the story, turned to God, asked him to help them, made a, a commitment to people they knew, and the Lord took it from there. So realize the difference you make. Realize the difference that you are. Realize how Jesus can use every single one of us in some way to keep the main thing on the front burner. And I'd leave that thought with you today. And I want to encourage you once again that if, you, if, you haven't, if, you, if, you, if you've thought about coming to Christ, understand that He came for you. Okay? 
He came from eternity looking for you. So you would be one of his sheep. He could be your shepherd. And so, if you haven't seriously considered this, understand, you're the reason that the Word became flesh and came to this world and became like you so that he could know you and you could know him and belong to him. Understand the difference Jesus makes. If we can encourage you to make a decision for Christ in any way now or after this service or privately with someone you know in this church, then that's, that's the most important thing you can ever do. Because the rest of that quote in John chapter 1 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. In Christ there is life. He is your life. He is your life now. He is your eternal life. We encourage you to know the difference Jesus makes while we stand to sing this song.